Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of One Question with Pastor Adam. And I'm Adam, and I'm pastor to believers and doubters, to unfaithful Christians and faithful atheists. Jesus wasn't afraid of questions, and neither are we. So each week on this podcast, we are going to explore one question that you have sent me over Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We will explore questions that you might be afraid to ask someone else. Some topics include the Bible, heaven and hell, who is Jesus, and do you have to be a Christian in order to be saved? So if you have questions, hit me up over on social media, either at the Clackamas United Church of Christ pages, the Raven Foundation pages, or my personal pages. Today's question comes from Kate, and Kate asks a question about Jesus, and it is this, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? This is a great question, Kate, especially for us progressive Christians who have kind of a difficult time with ideas of orthodoxy. Uh, And to say that Jesus was the Son of God feels like an exclusive claim. So this is kind of piggybacking off of our last episode, which was a question from Greg who asked, is Jesus really the way, the truth, and the life? And what does that mean? So when we explore Jesus as the Son of God, we have to ask the same question. What does this mean? And I'll answer the question right off the bat and say, yes, I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but what does that mean? And I want to explore that with you right now. We tend to think about the Gospels as different, and they are very different. Some of them, like the Gospel of John, emphasizes Jesus' divinity. So clearly in the Gospel of John, Jesus is one with the Father. He calls himself the Son of God, and the Gospel of John is pretty overt that Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh in the person of Jesus, which is what we talked about last time. And alternatively to the Gospel of John, people point out Mark, who tends to show Jesus in his full humanity. But even in the Gospel of Mark, it starts off like this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And a little later on in the first chapter of Mark, it talks about Jesus' baptism. And Jesus, at his baptism, hears the voice of God say, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. So all four of the Gospels talk about Jesus as the Son of God. But before you go to Christian orthodoxy about the Trinity, and we'll get there, but before we get there, I want to talk about what Son of God language meant in the ancient world. Who were the sons of God in the ancient world? Well, it was the pharaohs. It was the Caesars. It was the political rulers of the day. And why did you know that they were the sons of God? Because they were the ones who held the power. And what are the gods like? Well, the gods are powerful. (laughs) So clearly, if you are going to see what God is like, you are going to look to the powerful people of the world. They are God's sons. And this is something that that humans have associated from the very beginning or close to the very beginning of our history, which is sons and children are reflections of their parents. So to say that somebody is a son of God is to say, this is what the gods are truly like. So What does it mean to say that the Pharaoh or the Caesars are the sons of God? It means that God is all 
powerful, like the pharaohs, like the Caesars. God is the one who has authority and might in the world. And if you want to know what God is like, look to the sons of God. So here we see something really important happening in the Gospels that is going to change the way that we view God in the world. The Gospel writers say, no longer are we to look to the powerful rulers of the world in order to see what God is like. If you want to know who the true son of God is, says the Gospel writers, then you look to Jesus. Look to the nonviolent Jesus, the Jesus who calls us not to kill our enemies, but to love our enemies. Why? Because that is what God is truly like. Look to Jesus, the Son of God, in order to understand what the Father, as Jesus calls God, what the Father is truly like. And I get that this is all patriarchal language, and that's part of the language of the ancient world. But it's also Jesus trying to subvert that patriarchal language. What does it mean to be a true father in this world? It's not a father who is powerful over and against his children or anyone else. It is the father of love and compassion. So Jesus, even as he's using the patriarchal language of the day, is also subverting the patriarchal language of the day. And so if you were to go around and talk about the Son of God in the ancient Roman Empire where Jesus lived and the New Testament authors lived, you would instantly think of the Caesar or the emperor. And so what the gospel writers are doing is saying, don't look to those powerful rulers anymore. Look to the nonviolent, loving Jesus. So this is a political subversion that the gospel writers are doing here by calling Jesus the Son of God. This is like in the, in the ancient Roman world, you would say to one another, Caesar is Lord. But the early Christians went around saying, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. In the Roman Empire, you would go around and you would say, Caesar is the son of God. And the New Testament authors said, no, 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 no. Jesus is the son of God. So one of the things that the early Christians did was to take the propaganda of the Roman Empire and twist it. For another example, the Roman emperor liked it when people said there is no other name under heaven than which one can be saved than that of Caesar. And so the New Testament authors took that Roman military propaganda and said, there is no other name under heaven that one can be saved in that of Jesus. So if anybody tells you that Christianity should not be political, they haven't understood what the gospel writers are really getting at. But the Hebrew scriptures also talk about the kings of Israel as the son of God as well. Psalm chapter two says, I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, this is merely saying, what is God like in the world? What is, what is the king supposed to be like? A reflection of who God is as the son of God. And what does God care about over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures? Caring for the poor and the orphans and the widows, making sure that those who are in need have enough. Over and over again, when the kings forget to act out 
this mission from God. The prophets come to the kings and say, hey, you've missed the point. Because remember, our kings and our God are not like the kings and gods of Egypt and of Rome and of Babylon. Our God isn't primarily concerned about defeating our enemies or going to war. Our God is primarily concerned about taking care of those who are in need. So when we talk about the son of God phrase, that's where I like to start, but it's not where I like to end (laughs) because eventually I think we do have to get to the Christian Orthodox view of the Trinity. And I've struggled for a long time with the Trinity because I've often felt like it was a stumbling block to building relationships with our Jewish and Muslim siblings. But over time, I've begun to really appreciate this ancient doctrine. Because when the first Christians who really started formulating this concept began to do so, they they said it like this, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all essentially one. That is, there is no fundamental difference between the members of the Trinity. And stick with me here. This is why this is important, because a lot of my stumbling block about the Trinity also comes from very bad theology that says that the Father was pissed off at humans and needed to exert his wrath upon humanity, but the Son was the one who loved humanity and was our friend, and so he took one for the team And ever since the cross, ever since the Father exerted his wrath on the cross of Jesus, then God likes us now. You don't get that view of the Father in the scriptures, and that is not what the Trinity was about when they first started formulating it. The Trinity says that there is no fundamental difference between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says that if you see the Son, you have also seen the Father. And this is what the Gospel of John repeatedly says. Jesus says, if you see me, if you know me, you know the Father. And so what is the Son like? The Son is the non-violent one who loves all people, including those who we call our enemies. And if that is what the son is like, then the father is also nonviolent love too. And if that is what the son and the father are like, then the Holy Spirit is also nonviolent love too. A true view of the Trinity says that there is no violence. There is no wrath within God. Some of my heroes of the ancient church are theologians who are known as the Cappadocians. And what they said when they formulated this idea of the Trinity was that God is in a dance with God's self. They called it perichoresis. And perichoresis means uh, peri, which means about, and choresis, which is where we get the word for uh, choreography. And so God is dancing about in this eternal dance of love and joy with God's self. That's how the Trinity was first really formulated and articulated in the ancient church. And in the act of perichoresis, there is no room for violence. There is no room for wrath. And Kate, I still struggle with the concept of the Trinity, but when I discovered what the Trinity was all about at the very beginning, I thought, oh, that that's actually beautiful. God is in a dance, this eternal dance of love. 
I mean, for me, it means that the fundamental reality of the universe is a dance. And I'm pretty uncoordinated. You don't want to see me dancing, but I it just makes me kind of happy to know that the fundamental reality of the universe is dancing all around us in joy and in love and inviting us to participate in the dance with one another. So, Kate, those are my thoughts on this. Just to reiterate, when we call Jesus the Son of God, it is a political subversion of the way that politics usually works. When we think of the Son of God, especially in the ancient world, you would think of the powerful rulers who could use their military might to get what they want. And the New Testament authors said, no, that is not what the Son of God is truly like. The Son of God is the one who calls us to love all people. And then we get to the concept of the Trinity, where the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are dancing together in an act of eternal joy. Do I believe all that? Sometimes. Sometimes it's a struggle. But I think it is a beautiful vision. But I would love to know what you think. So let me know over on social media. So friends, that's it for today. Thank you for having the courage to ask questions and for listening. If you have a question, hit me up over on social media. And if you want more content, check me out at ravenfoundation.org where we explore life, faith, and mimetic theory. And if you are in the Portland area, come check us out at Clackamas United Church of Christ. And hey, always remember, your faith and your doubts are holy. So join me next time as we continue to explore your questions. 